Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, I'm Paul Simpson. I was the Preston North End manager. I started in summer of 2006 and left um, early on in the season of 2007-2008. Currently out of work, um, waiting for my next opportunity after just leaving Bristol City about uh, a couple of months ago. Um, raring to go again. Thank you very much for your time. I know we've been trying to sort something out for a while and a few things have cropped up here and there, but good to have you on finally. It's uh, it's appreciated. Thank you. Um, if, if you don't mind and if it's okay with you, I'd just like to touch on obviously your recent health scare. Um, mm-hmm. You were diagnosed with, was it renal cell carcinoma? Yeah, that's right. I mean, basically I had a, a cancer tumour in my kidney. Um, that, that's what it was. That's the official terminology for it, renal cell carcinoma. Um, and it, it was one of them situations when when the announcement was made about it, um, it was felt by the club by Bristol City where I was working that if I suddenly wasn't appearing on all of the Bristol uh, Robins TV shows as they were doing all pre-season, people are going to start asking questions. So we, we talked about putting something out to make it official um, and they wanted to use the word cancer and it's a really strange one, really, because it is a cancer. But the minute you mention cancer, people automatically fear the worst. Um, so I, I didn't want it to be that way because from the minute that I got diagnosed with it, my attitude was absolutely positive from the first second that this is going to be a good news cancer story. This isn't going to be a, a, a doomsday one. So let's be really positive about it. And, and thankfully, that's the way it's turned out. So that was the way that the, the announcement was made that it was a renal cell carcinoma that makes sense i guess i know exactly what you mean with the cancer thing like my my mum had a cancer scare probably four or five years ago and again it was it was something or nothing it turned out in the end but it's like you said as soon as you hear that that c word you yeah your mind instantly goes to like oh god how long's left kind of thing. yeah you do and when you when you speak to people about it everybody's got a story about cancer and unfortunately there are, there are a hell of a lot of, of really sad cases and really sad situations. But um, thankfully with me, as ridiculous as it sounds, I'm really lucky that they found the tumour early um, before I had any symptoms. I wasn't in, I wasn't suffering in any way with it. Um, and the other thing was it just happened to be inside one of my major organs what i've got two of and i can survive perfectly normally with 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 just the one so um i've got away with one i think and hopefully it'll stay that way yeah fingers crossed how were bristol city during that period they were they were brilliant absolutely brilliant i've got to say um 
I've got a different opinion of it now that I've left. Um, but during that, during my, uh, my my time away, they were absolutely brilliant with me. They there was there was no hesitation to give me the time off. They were really considerate. Um, the owner Steve Lansdowne and and the chairman John, his son, and and the chief executive Richard Gould. They they were really were very very good and um, got absolutely no complaints about the way that I was treated over that time. Anyway. Good. That's good to hear. We'll we'll go back to the start, I guess, the very start. You born in Carlisle. How did you end up at City? Um, I had um, we had a scout who was in Carlisle called John Bell, and he saw me playing on a Sunday afternoon for a team that I was playing for. And um, at that time, you couldn't sign anywhere for any any professional clubs until you're 14 year old. It used to be just schoolboy forms and not academies. You know, we're talking late 70s here, early 80s. Um, and I went down for trials. In, in those days, you, you would go all over the place and have trials at different clubs. So I went to quite a lot of clubs. Um, I actually went to Preston. My brother came down to Preston on trial and I was probably only about 11 or 12 then. Um, and I came down with him and ended up, there was somebody short for one of the trial games. So they asked me to stick my boots on and I, I ended up joining in as about an 11 or a 12 year old. Um, and, uh, and 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 playing. I remember Nobby Styles was the manager at one point, one of the times I was there, and we had a, a youth team coach called Alan Spavin. Yeah. Um, so th- those are the guys who were around at the time. How did um, you fare as an eleven-year-old? The what? Sorry. How did you fare as an eleven-year-old when um, you got dragged in? Well, I did all right because they asked me to. They wanted me to go back, and Preston was one of the teams that wanted me to sign when I was a schoolboy. Um, but. Uh, I just, I, I absolutely loved here at Man City. The way that we were treated by, um, they the, the both passed away, unfortunately. Ken Barnes was the, was the chief scout and Ted Davis was like one of the head of recruitments. And they were just absolute top, top fellas, the pair of them. Um, you know, and in a, in a time where there's a lot of scandal going around about the, the child sex abuse in Manchester City, I was really fortunate that I never, I never experienced anything like that. The two people who I who I dealt with there of Ken Barnes and Ted Davis were just top class fellas, and um, they were probably the reason that that convinced me that City was the right place to go. Um, and that's how I ended up leaving in so summer of nineteen eighty two when I left school. I joined City and and started there as an apprentice. How was that for you? Was it a big thing, or was it something that like? I suppose every school kid, or, or a lot of school kids anyway, you say to them, what do you want to be when you're older? And, you know, a lot of them will say, I want to be a footballer. Was it going straight from school into the academy? Was it like a daunting thing or were you just buzzing? Oh, it was, it was a massive... I think the biggest thing, Jake, is is actually I left Carlisle um, to go and live in Manchester. You know, it's not a case of you, 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 you're just going down a couple of days, you're living at home or anything like that. And there was... It was a case of going. We, I remember meeting me and Jamie Hoyland both got put in the same digs together, and we turned up on a Sunday night and met the met the the couple Pete and Edna who were who were our landlord and landlady. We'd never met them before. My mum and dad dropped us off. Um, Jamie's mum and dad dropped him off, and it was like, right, here you go, get on with it. And I remember I remember sitting having a cup of tea in the in the lounge at that Sunday night when my parents had gone. And saying to Pete and, and Edna, so how do we get to the ground tomorrow? Because we, we used to meet at Main Road, get changed at Main Road. How do we get to the ground? And we went, well, on the other side of the Kingsway, dual carriageway there, there's the uh, the number 50 bus stop. 
you get the 50, you get yourself down to Crescent Gate and you get off, walk through, uh, walk through Rush Home and you'll come to Main Road. And we, we're sort of going, what? What, we have to get the bus in? He was like, yeah, yeah. And, and, and that was it. So that was a bit of a shock to the system because we had nowhere, no idea where we were going. Yeah. Um, two, well, I was 15 at the time. Jamie was 16. I hadn't turned 16 yet. And two, two 15 and 16-year-old lads trying to find the way early in the morning to get to the main road for the first day of pre-season. That was, that was the biggest daunting thing, I think, for, for us. But uh, you get used to it. And it, as you said, it was a dream. We were we were living the dream. In fact, we were at Manchester City and we were, we were on the, the start of our journey to try and be professional footballers. Um, and it was the start of really exciting years ahead then. Yeah, it's funny you should mention, Jamie. I'm uh, supposed to be doing... Well, I've supposed to have been doing a podcast with him for about 18 months, just never managed to get it sorted. No, he's a busy I'm, man. Uh, to be fair, I think I've bailed on him a few times, um, <laughs> but I, I was told recently that I absolutely have to get him on because he's a very funny fella. Oh, he is. He's a, he's so, a fool bloke, definitely is. Um, am I right in saying that you were a winger when you were... I was, yeah, I was a left winger. Uh, left winger in my early days, and then when my legs went towards the end, I started to drop a little bit further back into midfield and... When I was a player manager, I had that nice little number 10 role where it was a little bit free as well. So, no, I, I was a forward player and I definitely wasn't known for me tackling, for me heading and that sort of stuff. I was more about creating and scoring myself. You look back, how how proud are you to have gone on and made over 120 appearances for Man City? Oh, unbelievable. You know, it's funny, I was talking about this the other day to somebody because when... You know, you, you said earlier, as most most young kids nowadays, and this is boys and girls now because of the way that women's football is, the dream about being a professional footballer. So that was always my dream as a kid. And then when, when you get, so I got this apprenticeship at Man City to start with. And then the first challenge is to try and get a pro contract. Um, you know, the, you don't even think about playing in the first team because you, it, it just wasn't really heard of um, that you got in that early. Um, but I was really fortunate and, and the way that things turned out, I ended up making my debut for Man City when I was 16. So we we had, um, so John Bond was the manager and he was under a little bit of pressure at the time. And uh, I made my debut on the Tuesday night for the reserve team and had a really good game in that game. I can't remember who was against the score or anything. I just remember playing well in it. And John Bond just decided that because he was under a bit of a pressure, it, it's, a, it's a bit of a, a, an easy win for a manager, really. If they chuck a young player in, somebody from the, the who's come through their youth team, it normally bides them a bit of time. And uh, Bondy threw me into the team. So I made my debut on the Saturday then for the first team against Coventry. So I, I'd achieved that, but I, I, I played two or three games in the first team. And then I... Got a, I got two two ankle injuries that put me out for a while. And I've got to be honest, for the rest of the season, I was really poor. Didn't play well at all. Didn't didn't show anything that was worthy of getting close to the first team again. Um, so my next challenge was to try and make sure I got a pro contract uh, to stay involved in football. And again, the way that things turn out, you know, I, I, I look back through my career and don't get me wrong, I, I think that I must have had something. I must have had some level of ability to have been able to stay in the game so long. But I was also very lucky. And, and at the time, as I was coming towards the end of my contract, uh, my first two years there, 
Um, it didn't look like I was going to be getting a new deal at, at City. And I was playing in a reserve game on the Tuesday night, coming towards the end of the season. And Bob Stoker was the Carlisle manager. And Bob came to watch me play in this reserve game. And first half, I was bang average, didn't play well at all. Bob Stoko left at half time. He'd seen enough and decided that it wasn't going to happen. And I think he actually called in at Oldham on the way back. They were a little bit of a later kickoff. Second half, I played really well. And then between that Tuesday night and the Saturday, where the first team were playing Cardiff, we had Clive Wilson and Gordon Smith, the ex-Brighton and Albion striker. They they were the two left-sided players in the group. They both got admitted to hospital, one with an infection in his toe and one with food poisoning. And I was the only left-sided player left in the group to play. And I got in team on the Saturday. We uh, played Cardiff. I scored my first league goal and I ended up staying in the team then for the next nine games, scored six goals. We got promotion to effectively what is the Premier League now and as the saying goes many times the rest is history and I ended up playing over 100 games for Man City but it was it was so close it could have gone either way you know I could have if I'd have played well in the first half the chances are I would have gone to Carlisle and who knows what my career would have ended up doing then but thankfully it worked out well for me and, and I had that stroke of luck to go with whatever it was I did have ability wise, and uh, my career just took off then. That yeah, that's mental. <laughs> like, yeah, like you said, like you know, you have a decent first half, and it, it completely changes things. But yeah, I suppose equally, it's while it's never lucky that someone gets admitted to hospital. But yeah, for for you to have not one but two, yeah, <laughs> like, and that gives you your opportunity, and then obviously you, you're on on the first team stage, and you take your opportunity and. Yeah, and I can honestly sit here and tell you as well, I had no part to play in either of them getting admitted to hospital. I didn't serve them food and I certainly didn't do anything with Clive Wilson for his infection either. You you had a long career, um, mm. you know, represented lots of different clubs, 140 plus appearances at Oxford United, 180 plus appearances at Derby. Um, you know, you had stints from what I've seen at Sheffield United, Wolves, Walsall. I won't mention them lot down the road. Uh, <laughs> Rochdale and Carlisle, both as player-manager. 670-plus appearances as a footballer, 150 goals. It's not a bad career, that. Yeah, well, it, again, it's a strange one because I, I said earlier about me getting in the first team at City when I was 16. and um, So if I remember rightly, the first game was Coventry, which I started in that one. And then we played Wigan in the Cup during the week where I was sub. And then we had, um, I think it was Everton away and Sunderland at home where I was on the bench for Everton away and Sunderland. And I think I got on in both of them. But I remember before one of these games, we, we'd done a little training session with the first team group. And at this time, we were talking about 14 and 15 players training. It wasn't a squad of 20 odd. So we did a little session on the, uh, we had a little AstroTurf pitch at Platte Lane and we did this session and, and I was with the first team. And at the end of the session, John Bond said, right, that's it. Everybody good. get back to the ground, get yourselves changed and go home. You need to get rested. We've got another game coming up very soon. Want everybody fresh. So I start to walk back to Main Road from Platt Lane and Tony Buck was our youth team coach who was an absolute legend of Manchester City, Bucky. And, and Bucky called me back and went, oi, where are you going? So I said, oh, I'm going back to the ground, Skip. And he went, oh, you've made it now, have you? And I went, 
No, no. I said, I'm just following. And I'm 16 year old here. So I'm, I'm absolutely terrified at the time, you know. And he said, he said, uh, I said, no, the, the manager said I've got to go back to the ground. He went, you haven't made it, son. He said, uh, when you play once or twice, you're lucky if you play once or twice. He said, you're even lucky if you play 10 times. He said, you're only, you can only call yourself a footballer when you make 100, 150 appearances. And that was always my spur to make me want to play games. And it was never about money. So I never lost a contract over money. It wasn't anything to do with that. My sole aim was to play as many games in my career as possible. Um, and... I mean, you just threw a number at me there of the appearances. And I know on Wikipedia, it talks about the number of appearances. When I eventually retired at Carlisle, there was a guy there who, a guy called Jeff Haff, who was a top, top fellow. He worked as the physio for our youth team on a part-time basis. He was a personal trainer. He used to come in during the week and do work with the first team players. He was really, really good character to have around. But he was the ultimate stato. He knew every statistic. You know, he's one of these who you give him your date of birth and he'll tell you what was number one in the charts on that particular Sunday and this sort of stuff. And he presented me with a shirt with 808 on it. And I'm like, what's that got to do with me? <laughs> what's that? He said, that's how many appearances all in you made in your career, which I, I, I didn't have a clue. I, I don't keep a record of that sort of thing. And he just said, I've checked it all with, with starts and sub appearances, league and cup, you made 808 appearances. And you know, when I, it, it's funny because it, I, I'm going to sort of skip. The only time I've ever really sat back and thought about what's gone on in my career was the period after I got sacked at Preston. Um, and it's the first time ever that I sat and thought, right, where did all that go? What did I do? What have I done well? I've made so many mistakes. Let's have a think about it and try and work out where you've gone wrong. And it was the first time that I'd ever really thought about, I've had half a decent career here, make, making over 800 appearances, you know, well, and, and loving... I, uh, just over 617. Yeah. That was, and, that's still decent. Yeah, and, and loving every minute of it. You know, I, I really did. I enjoyed every minute of it and... and when you when you start out you want to get a pro contract you want to play in the first team you want to you know you want to play play for your country and have aspirations for that you want to play in cup finals all of those sorts of things and um thankfully i achieved most of them not always successfully but um i achieved them all and i can look back with a big smile on my face Ah, oh, that's that's great to hear in terms of you move into management. Obviously, we touched on your your stint at Rochdale and Carlisle, and mm. you said yourself how you, all you wanted to do was just play as many games as possible. I suppose being being a player manager twice reflects that because it's not often that you see that anymore. No, it's it's something that's gone out of the game really. And to be fair, with hindsight, I, I can see why um, because although I was, I mean, I was my first job was the Rochdale job, and and I was there as a player. And I got offered the job and I, I never, I didn't for one minute think I was ready to be a manager at that point. But I also wondered whether I'd ever get offered it another opportunity again. So I decided to take it. And I did actually say to the directors, look, I'm going to need a load of help because I've been a player all my life. I've, yes, I've coached. So I've done my coaching badges. I've, I'm doing a sports science degree. I, you know, I, I can do all of that sort of stuff. But I've never managed a group of staff. I've never managed a football club, so I'm going to need some help. And they were like, yeah, yeah, you'll get all this help. And I didn't get any help. But anyway, I, I had to learn on the job and I had to make, I made mistakes and I know I made mistakes in it that, that I learned from. So I had a year of that, but 
when I was playing early on in the season, when I was when I was playing and I was in the team, I was actually doing okay. I was I was doing a job for the team. I was scoring. I was creating. But I just sensed that whenever things weren't quite right on the pitch, the rest of the players sort of looked at me as if to say, "Come on, then you're the manager. Sort it out." But if I'm going to be really honest, I wasn't skillful enough on a management and a technical, a tactical side whilst I was playing to be able to recognise and affect the other things that were going on. So I took myself out of the team um, and I actually felt as though I was better as a manager when I wasn't playing myself. So that was the first sort of learning. Then I went to Carlisle and again, I went solely as a player. Roddy Collins got the sack and I was in the team and I, I, I've got to be honest, I wasn't actually playing that well. I was struggling with a thigh strain and I kept trying to play and I was third, what would I be about 35, maybe 36 at the time. So my legs were starting to go anyway. Um, and when I got injured, it made me, I, I, um, my knee locked and I needed a cartilage operation. And it was the first time I'd ever had a, a serious injury as such. So I ended up having surgery and coming out of the team and being in a situation where I didn't have to think about playing. I could solely focus on the management side of it. Again, that made it so much easier for me. So although I was a player manager, I was better at not being the player side of it, um, even though there was times where I felt as though I could have done a job for the team. And, the, and in all fairness, the other staff were sort of questioning why I wasn't playing myself. But I, I just had to say, look, I think this is the right thing to do. And in the end at Rochdale, I don't think it would have really mattered which way I'd have done it. It, was, um, it, it wasn't going to work for me, but at Carlisle, it certainly worked for me by, by coming out of the team and focusing on being a manager. Um, and I thought that was the right thing to do. Yeah, because you had a lot of success at Carlisle, didn't you? Yeah, we did. Yeah, we had a. I mean, I went into a dreadful situation, but we we had we had good owners, and and I think you know you can be a good manager, uh, but you've got to have good owners because the good owners help you get good players in, um, and that's the secret to being a good manager is having good players. The better the players you are, the better you are as a manager. It's simple as that because people people just look at results; they don't look at everything else that's going on. And that's probably fair. That's, you know, everybody wants to see a winning team, don't they? So that's, that's where you're judged. And we, we had a good owners ownership at Carlisle who allowed me to, who allowed me a bit of time and also the, the opportunity to build a group that was good enough to firstly get ourselves back out of the national legal conference at the time. And that group was then good enough to go and be champions of league two the following season as well. Do you not think that maybe, Maybe that perception's changed a little bit in football now. It's not just looking at the results. I'm only asking that because I know, obviously, Ryan Lowe's just come in at North End and mm. a lot, ourselves included on the podcast, have been saying how sort of toward the back end of Alex's time at the club and, and under Frankie, we were going to games and just bored. Like, yeah. We, we weren't winning that much anyway, but mm. you go and you think, ah, if we're, if we're, putting on a show to an extent then you it almost makes not getting results more stomachable if that makes sense so do you not think yeah. maybe that perception has changed a little bit in football yeah i think I, I do think supporters want to be entertained as well but i i think i think they've always wanted to be entertained though haven't they you know you you, you as a football supporter you pay your money and you want to see something entertaining now 
what constitutes entertaining in football is is everybody's own personal opinion, isn't it? But in general, they want to see winning football as well. That, that's the big thing, you know. And, and I, I I do agree with you. I think football supporters are becoming much more intelligent now, and I think that's probably because they've got much more access to um, sort of tactical and technical insights yeah, haven't they? because of data. what you see on TVs now and, and the data that you can find. You go onto, onto any website, you go onto soccer base, you go onto any sort of analytical website and you can find out so much information about the games, can't you? Yeah. And all of this XG that goes about nowadays and it's, you can find out so much. So I think football supporters are getting more educated than they were in the past. So would it, is it safe to say then that you you never really envisioned getting into management or at least not when you did or the way that you did? Oh, definitely right, yeah. I mean, at the time I was um, I was coaching in Blackburn Rovers Academy um, when, I've, when I got asked to be the uh, Rochdale manager. I'd, I'd been coaching at Derby County in the academy. I was, I'd done eight, nine, uh, sorry, not eight, nines and tens. And then at Blackburn, I was taking the under eights um, I was doing my coaching badges, just trying to think about coaching is, is being organized, is getting the organizational skills of putting sessions on and making sessions flow so that there's a, a start, a middle and an end to it. And there's a good flow to the way the session goes. So I was sort of learning how to do that. I got asked to be the manager there. So decided to, to just take the plunge and, and do it. Um, so I don't really know if I ever thought about becoming a manager, it was one of them situations where I wanted to play for as long as I could still felt as though I was uh, able to influence games. Um, but I was taking my coaching badges and doing this sports science degree because I knew I wanted to go into coaching, but I just didn't really have an idea where it was going to be. And I always just felt that uh, that would just evolve as, as time went on. And when I got to the point where I knew I couldn't play any longer, I just thought that'll fall into place for me and I'll, I'll suddenly pick up the idea then. Um, so it was it was sort of forced onto me, really. And although I left Rochdale and the Rochdale fans didn't re weren't really happy with me in the end, um, I still look back at Rochdale and know that there was a lot of good things that went on there. Um and, and to be honest with you, when we got to the end of the season, there'd been a there'd been a long drawn out discussion around a new contract for me. I, I, I had um, they, they basically offered me a new two year contract, and everything was going to be fine. And we had a really good FA Cup run, and things were going really well. And I said to the chairman David Kilpatrick, "Look, I think it'd be best if we, we just focus on football. Don't worry about my contract." I said. I, I know I can trust you and come the end of the season or when it all starts to settle down, we'll sort it all out then. But I'm not really worried about it. First mistake I made. Um, so anyway, I, I, we then carry on. We get, we eventually, I mean, we beat Preston in the FA Cup. We beat Coventry, we beat Preston. We then lost um, away at Wolves on a live TV game on a Sunday evening. And we made about, I don't know, we made hundreds of thousands out this FA Cup run, which was unheard of for Rochdale at the time. And after the FA Cup game, I'll be honest, we weren't very good. We lost a lot of games. The performances weren't good. The players, the same players who'd been absolutely outstanding in the FA Cup games and in the early part of the season, we just didn't perform to the same levels again. So suddenly the, 
the directors started getting a bit edgy about this new contract. And we'll come to the end of the season. I always remember that the last game of the season, in, in the office at Rochdale, there was a big office where they coached the... Uh, uh, the uh, youth team coach and Jamie, the assistant, they were in there. And then there was a little side room, which was my office. And David Kilpatrick, the chairman, came in and he said, can we just go in there? And he took me into this room and closed the door. And I'm thinking, bloody hell, what's going on here? And he was all teary and all emotional. And he, he, he could hardly speak to me. And he said, look, just to let you know, I'm resigning. I'm walking out. I was like, whoa, what's going on here? Why are you doing that? And he said, well, um, they've uh, they've gone behind me back. They stitched me up. I said, so, and, is, and they're going to stitch you up. And I'm like, oh, right, okay. So what you're telling me that there isn't a new contract? He said, oh, no, no, I can't, I can't say anything, but I'm, I'm really sorry. I've, I've left you in the lurch, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, we, 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 we had a drink together. And then the following week, they called me to a meeting and said, look, this is a situation. You've got a new two-year contract. But we're gonna. We want to help you appoint an assistant manager. I'm like, well, what do you mean by that? They said, well, you've got a choice. You can either sack Colin Greenall, who was a youth team coach, and Jamie goes to be the assistant, or you sack Jamie, and we'll help you to, um, you know, we'll help you to get an assistant manager in. And I said, well, no, that's not how it works. That's not what the problem is. I said. I'll be happy to take a two-year contract, but I'm going to choose my, my own staff. I'm not prepared to let you do it. I said, well, that's your choice. You either take the take our, our staff member and you've got your contract or you walk away. So I said, right, let me have a think about it then. So I went away. I rung Colin, rung Jamie. I said, listen, I've got a decision to make here and I'm really sorry, but there's a chance one of you two is going to get sacked in the morning. Um if I, if I decide it's the right thing to do, I'm going to have to terminate your contract and there's nothing I can do about it. And when I thought about it, I just thought, I can't do it. It's totally against what I think is the right thing to do. So I just went to them and said, look, forget it then. Just terminate my contract. Uh, let me go. You do what you like. You you appoint your own manager. And I, and I decided to leave then. Um so then I'm in a position where I then got an offer to go to Carlisle just as a player with Roddy Collins as the manager. He, had, he sold me this dream of what they were going to do. And I really look, I was really looking forward to just thinking about being a player and not having to worry about anything else. Um, and then unfortunately for Roddy, results didn't go well. I got asked to be caretaker. And then again, as I've already said, the rest is history and I took over then. How did the, the move to North End come about then? Was it something that sort of took you by surprise or was it one of them things that had been in the works for a while? And No, there's kind of been rumours. There was rumours of it happening. Um, I, we'd just finished the season, so we'd won League Two and there was talk of me going to a few different clubs. Um, and I had a year left on my contract at Carlisle and, and we basically weren't getting anywhere with the contract and it was a case of, look, Leave it then. I'll stay on a year's contract. I'll take a gamble because if I've had a rubbish start to the season in League One, then I'll get the sack and you don't have to pay me much. If I have a good start, there's a chance you you might get comp you know, you you were uh, you might not get any compensation from me. So we, we left it at that. And um I then got a phone call from from the owner, Fred, and just said, Look, um, I've had a phone call, Preston want to take you as the manager. Um, I know you want to manage at the championship, so go and have a chat to their chairman, Derek Shaw, and see what, what he has to say. So 
came down, met Derek at his house. Um, and to be honest, everything happened really quickly from there. I think it was probably, I mean, it was in the off season and anyway, so it was a week, maybe 10 days. Um, it wasn't, there was no negotiations. The minute I came and I saw the stadium and I listened to what Derek had to say and, and I did a bit of homework and looked into the record that they'd had the previous season under Billy Davis. Um, that I just thought it's a bit of a no-brainer, really. I've got to go and I've got to go and take it. And as much as as much as I knew it was going to cause a bit of a problem with with in my home city in Carlisle, with me being from there, I just thought for my own career, I've got to go and do it because it was the right thing for me. And and at the time, it was a brilliant opportunity. So you just obviously said that you'd done a bit of research yourself. How aware of what Billy had achieved in his time were you when you were coming into the club? Oh, I was I was really aware. I knew that he'd done really well. Um, his record was excellent. He was the you know the the defending the defending record that previous season was just fantastic, and that's what probably really sold it to me. And it was it, it was probably the the big thing that appealed to me. Looking at it, thinking, "Wow, you know, we've got some really exciting forward players there, and maybe with a couple of little additions to it, we could be even better." But uh, it was all to be built on that really solid defending that they had. Um, and it became really clear to me early on that that base that they'd had from the previous seasons wasn't going to be the same because the way that things turned out, I mean, it was it was Carlo Nash in goals. There was uh, Tyrone Mears. There was Claude Davis, Yuma Wenny, Callum Davidson. Uh, Matty Hill was in and out the team. Grezza was there, obviously. Um, the day that I came and agreed everything with Derek um, in terms of the contract and agreed to, to come to the club, Claude Davis got sold. The first day that I was announced as the manager, I came out that of the press day, conference. Claude, sorry, Claude Davis was to Sheffield United, wasn't he? Claude went to Sheffield United, yeah, so that was done. Then I came out of the press conference when the when I was announced as the manager and I had uh, Willie Mackay waiting in the car park to speak to me to tell me that he had a deal for Tyrone Mears to leave the club. I'm like, whoa, I, I've never met the guy. I said, so I don't want him to go. No, he's definitely going. He's got to move, blah, blah, blah all of this sort of stuff. So I lost Tyrone Mears that, within about 48 hours of me going. I'd never met him. We then go into pre-season training. Yulma, when he did his cruciate ligaments against Manchester United in one of our last pre-season games, so I lost Yule. Um, Callum Davidson was had a really tough time injury-wise. Um, so from going from a base where I'm thinking, wow, what a great defence we've got, suddenly we only we had three of them gone out of the football, with three of them not available to me. Yeah. Um, and I'd... I took a bit of a gamble signing Sean and sent Ledger because I knew we could get Ledge for a reasonable price. And he was a player who would, who I knew about before coming in. So we got Ledge in. Um, and I inquired about um, Liam Chilvers early on in the transfer, early on in me getting the job. Um, his agent was a guy called Mike Drew. And I spoke to Mike about it. And he was on a free from Colchester. I knew he wanted to get up to up the further up north. Um, I think it was something to do with his his girlfriend or his wife at the time worked in Manchester or Liverpool, or whatever. Um, and the money that Mike was asking for him, there was just no way we could afford it. So I had to say, no, really sorry, I can't do it. And then later on in the in the the summer, I then get Mike on the phone again saying, look, 
will you do something for Liam? He's, he's really desperate to come. And I said, Mike, I've told you I can't afford him. This is this is all I can give him. And he went, right, he'll come for that. And we ended up getting chills on a deal for absolute buttons, really, thinking he was going to be maybe third or fourth choice centre-back. And yeah. Him and, him and Ledge ended up playing nearly every game and were absolutely fantastic for us in that first season. So, you know, it, that opportunity came. The others leaving gave us that opportunity to sign Liam Chilvers. And I thought it, I thought him and Ledge were two really good signings for us. Danny Pugh did really well for us. He was oh, a yeah, good signing from, from Leeds. Uh, from Leeds, um, yeah. It was funny, you know, Pugh was never... He was never a star, but he was always a really important player to have in the team. And especially in that first season, the way that we tried to play, where we had Simon Whaley on one side playing as a winger and Danny Pugh on the other. And, and he basically, we could we could either go 4-4-2 or we could go like a bit of a lopsided 4-3-3 with Wales playing on the Simon on the right-hand side and Danny Pugh just tucking in. And it just gave us a, a good bit of flexibility with the way that we played that season. Yeah, and he played. Uh, he played left back a few times as well, didn't he? He did. Yeah, I mean, as I said, we had we lost Callum for a long time in the season. Um, one of the other, when I think about one of the other players who was a, a big loss for us, who, who I got so much stick at the time, um, which I felt was really unfair. You know, I, I, there was a lot of things I did which I know I did deserve stick, but the one with Brian O'Neill. I mean, Brian O'Neill had to. He made a decision to retire. And for some reason, I got criticised and sort of being being the the being the the brunt of that one, which I couldn't do anything about. Brian was struggling with an injury as well. I think he was some maybe a back injury or something, and it was a sort of long term, repetitive thing. Yeah. Um, and he made the decision to retire, and and he was another big loss to us. Um, you know, he was a a leader in the dressing room and a, and a leader on the pitch and to lose somebody like him was was a real big blow for us really i had uh, craig brown on the podcast during the first lockdown mm. and he said about brian that of all the signings that he made i think i think he said brian was probably one of the most important ones that he'd made like yeah. just how good a player he was for mm. us yeah um, I don't. It's funny you mention him retiring because I was only thinking the other day. I was like, I don't actually remember what ever happened to him. Yeah, um, yeah. He had, he had to retire with an injury. He just decided to uh, to call it a day. Um, it was just one of them unfortunate things, enough, really. I suppose. How yeah. was uh, how was Derek to work with? I know he, he got a lot of stick from the fans, and there was a lot said and written about him. Uh, but how was he for you? For me, he was brilliant. Really, really good. We we had a. We had a really good working relationship, um, the, the way it was, and, and we ended up being good friends. And, and although he sacked me, um, I understand it was one of the things he had to do. But whenever I've met him since, we're still really pleasant with each other. There's no problem at all about it. Um, and I felt we got on really well. That I, I do when I look back, I do regret not being a bit firmer with him and trying to be a bit more pushy with him. Um, but I was young. I was, you know, I was a young manager. I was delighted to be working at championship level. Um, but really that Christmas and January of the 2006, seven season where we were up at the top of the league, um, I, I sort of asked the question, can we go and have a go to try and get to the Premier League? Can we just have a little nibble at trying to 
sort of bring two or three players in who will really help us get over the line and 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 be successful. I felt as though we needed another central midfielder. Paul McKenna was different class for us. Kenna and Sedgwick, uh, Chris Sedgwick were playing midfield at the time for us. And I always felt we needed another central midfielder because I felt if Kenner ever got injured, we had a real problem. Um, yeah, because Sedgu was a winger, wasn't he? Well, he was a winger, right but who ended up coming and playing inside for a, yeah. for a spell with us um, because we didn't have a hell of a lot more, to be honest with you. Um, and we'd done a, we'd got an agreement in place to to bring a, a central midfielder in on a loan till the end of the season. We'd done a, we'd got an agreement to bring a centre forward in because um, I felt as though Nuge was flying, but I, I just felt if he, Danny Dicchio wasn't prolific. He was a really good target man, but wasn't prolific. Uh, who else? We have Patrick Adjuman wasn't prolific, but was really like dynamic and effective when he came on, particularly as he was an impact sub. So I felt as if we needed another striker just in case to try and take the load off Nuge a little bit, really. Um, and I wanted I wanted to try and sit down with Owen McLaughlin and Trevor Hemmings and see if we could just get them both to put a couple of million in to let us have a real good go to try and get a little bit of quality to try and take us up. And basically, I was told by Derek that that's not how the club works. We're not prepared to do that. We'll go with what we've got. You can bring a couple of free transfers in in the in window, and um, I, I ended up bringing three in, and it, it didn't work for me. And with hindsight, I look at I look at the players who are brought in, and it just it, it affected what we did, um, and I wasn't able to bring the better players in, and we brought. Um, Safo Solly, uh, Pavel Pergel and Michael Ricketson. And unfortunately, it just didn't work out. And and we ended up having a a dodgy run towards the end of the season, which sort of started started the end for me, really, I suppose. Um, I think it's safe to say that, obviously, we touched on Ledge and and Liam Chilvers. You did bring in some, some good players in your time at the club, obviously. Andy Carroll came in on loan. You brought in Billy Jones. You brought mm. in Neil Meller. Um, mm. Is that something that you look back on and think, like you just said, if if you were maybe given a bit bit more opportunity to go out and maybe spend a bit more, that you could have done a bit more of? Well, I, I it's one of them things. I, I really respect Preston because of the way that they run the football club. Um, they try to do it properly because it would have been really easy to go and throw money at it that the club didn't have. Now, obviously, if they'd have thrown money at it and would have got to the Premier League, they'd have got it back. Um, But, you know, you you take that gamble and, you know, there's been so many football clubs who've chased that Premier League dream and there's clubs who are suffering because of it now because they, they then can't afford it when you don't go there. So I respect the fact that Preston do it properly in that in that way. But as somebody who wanted to keep my job and who was doing everything I possibly could to try and build the football club. I knew we just needed to have a little bit extra in the group. I knew we needed a bit better quality. Um, and, you know, no disrespect for the, to the likes of Ricketts, Pergel and Safo Solly. They weren't enough to strengthen our squad. And my, my big fear of Paul McKenna getting injured came, came to, to light on, we played a live game on, on a Friday night, Cardiff City away, and McKenna came off with a hernia problem and never played again that season. So he was a big miss. David Nugent made his debut for England and got that dubious goal, whether it was Nugent's or not, is debatable, but it's down in the history books as Nugent's goal. 
and he never scored again for us until the last game of the season. He had a really, really? tough run. Yeah, he. I don't, he I, I, you know what? I don't remember that. Yeah, so he stopped scoring goals. I mean, he was still our leading goal scorer, but he stopped scoring. Um, so there was all these things that I feared could go wrong, did go wrong, and it's no no fault of anybody's. It just yeah. that's just the way football goes. You know, that's that's how the game is, and um, you know what. I made mistakes along the way, and that's that's the way it is. So we ended up missing out. We, we beat um, Birmingham on the last game of the season, but missed out on the playoffs. So I knew then that I was already under pressure. I, I knew that I had to have a good start the next season, and that's yeah, that's a big thing to to take on then. And and again, with hindsight, I brought. Um, in that summer, I brought Kevin Nichols into the club. I, I felt as though we need a leader in there. We'd lost uh, Brian O'Neill. Uh, we'd lost all of these players, and and we we sold Nuge to uh, Portsmouth. Yeah. Danny Dicchio left to go to uh, Toronto. I think yeah, each he went, went to. Canada, to didn't he? You know, so we've lost this real nucleus of senior players, and I felt as though we need a, a leader, a captain type character. Um, but with hindsight, Kev Nichols was not fit enough. I should not have taken the gamble to, to sign him at the time. Um, even Neil Meller, Neil Mells was brought in. And it's quite comical, really, because I see some of the figures that are bandied about that we paid for Neil Meller. We never paid anywhere near that sort of figures. It was, you know, we're talking hundreds of thousands, not, not over a million, which has been reported. Um because he was injured at the time and we just knew we had to be patient to get him fit. And it was his knee, wasn't it? Yeah, he had a problem with his knee and, and I always he, he was a top, top fella, Mel. So I really, yeah, really liked him. him. Really. him he was I think he was my third guest on the podcast. Was he? He's brilliant. Yeah. I really like him as a bloke, but unfortunately with me as manager, I just never got to see the best of him we brought Andy Carroll in as a loan signing a bit of a gamble a young kid but I knew that he was going to be really really effective and could cause all sorts of problems he had I think in about a two-week period he had three or four issues off the field that I was having to deal with and then he got sent off away at somewhere I think off the top of my head Scunthorpe so it was just a never-ending issue with different problems that I was getting with him and, and again which happens when you I was struggling, you know, when you're struggling at the time, you, you get these things that go against you, and unfortunately that's the way it did. Just going back a little bit, what what's your take on the situation with Graham Alexander? Um, I had Grezza on the pod again, <laughs> I think second guest that I had on. and Yeah, yeah. He he obviously told the story from his, his side of things, and um, I think, if I remember correctly, he, he'd said to Derek, I don't know if it was Derek or yourself, he said, look, uh, this I think he said like I'm having my medical or I'm signing the contract at this time. Mm. If you call me at any point before then with an offer, I'll take it because I don't want to yeah. go. Yeah, and um, I think he said, I think he said Derek called him like just as he'd sat down to sign his contract. Right, and someone had said Derek's on the phone, and he was like, "No, it's too late." Yeah. Well, my, my memory of it, I remember getting a phone call from Steve Cottrell, who was the manager, saying, um, I'm uh, I'm interested in signing Graham Alexander. I said, no, not a chance. No, there's no way. I'm definitely not going to let him go. And he went, uh, well, I'm just letting you know I'm going to put a bid in for him anyway. So I'm like, well, you're wasting your time, Steve, because he's not going anywhere. He's a massive part of what I want to do. Um, so he won't be going anywhere. 
So later that day, I get a phone call from Derek to say, uh, just to let you know, Paul, I've accepted a bid from Burnley for him. I'm like, you can't do that, Derek. You, you can't let him go. He's a massive part. No, no, he's, he's at an age where, you know, it's... Uh, he, he came out with whatever the value of Grezza's contract is. He said, we're struggling with the bank. I've had a meeting. We're, we're this much in debt. And um, this is like a, so many hundred thousand turnaround. If we let him go, I want to do it. I think it was 200K, wasn't it? If I, I think it was that. But then when his salary is taken into account, it was like, it's this amount of money that right, we're going to yeah, make yeah. out of this one. So I'm like, I get that, but I can't afford to let him go. We need him in the football club. And he went, no, it's a financial decision. We've got to do it. So I'm like, right, okay, can't do it. So again, it was nagging away at me. So later on that evening, I've rung him. I said, Derek, we can't do it. We cannot let him go. We've got to stop this happening. And he went, why? Why? So I've gone through all the reasons why. And Greza was... Greza was a leader in the dressing room. And the way they, they, I don't know if anybody's ever explained this before, but in a dressing room, you have, you very rarely have a full group who are all together as one, but you have little groups of them who are all together. And there's, it's not that they dislike another group, but they're closer to each other. Um, but Greza was one of them people who just knitted all of the groups together. He, he had a, a sort of a little foot in all of them and he, and he knitted it together and he was really, really good at doing it. Um, and he was a bloody good footballer as well. Um, one thing I will say, I didn't have it in my mind. I wasn't clever enough to see him playing as a central midfielder like he did for Burnley. He was a fullback for me or maybe even go one further up and play that wide right midfield. But I, I wish I'd have seen him as that holding midfielder because he was magnificent. So anyway, Der Derek agreed, ended up saying to me, right, okay, you can ring him and tell him that we'll offer him a new contract. We'll give him another year. So I rung Greza and said, right, Derek said, I can give you another year. We'll do it. Let let's get it sorted. And he went, right, okay. Um, this is what Burnley have offered me. I'm like, ah, right, okay. So I said, are you telling me that we've got to match that. And he went, yeah, you have. And it was, it was off the top of my head. It was very close to being double his wages. And it was and two said, years as well, wasn't it? Yeah, two years. So he, he had this year and one more we were going to offer him, but they were offering him two years. So we, we couldn't compete with them finally. That was the top and bottom. We couldn't compete. And he just said, well, look, I've got to think of my family at this stage. And I just said, no, I totally agree. I want you to stay. This is what we can offer. Um, and we couldn't do anything about it. So if Derek did ring him the next day, I wasn't aware of it. But that night, I knew that he was going for the medical and, and basically we couldn't afford him. And, and I get that. You know, we, we were in that position. There was, there was a few times we wanted David Nugent to sign a new contract and he wasn't prepared to do it because we couldn't offer the money that his agent thought that he was worth. And, and in all fairness, he was probably worth more than he was yeah. getting off us because we were paying him buttons. Um, that was going to be my next question was, yeah, just so how got, much of a challenge was it to keep, try and keep on? I know obviously he ended up leaving, but... Yeah, was it? It, was, it was a challenge because we were trying to do it, but the club was saying, well, he's, again, I can't remember the exact figures. We were saying, well, he's, he's worth 8 million, he's worth 10 million. So his agent's saying, okay, give him a contract of a 10 million pound player. I'm going, well, it doesn't really work that way. You know, we haven't got that sort of money. Um, it happened with Carlo Nash. You know, I thought Carlo, for me, I thought Carlo Nash was the best goalkeeper in the championship. I thought um, David Nugent was the best striker in the championship. And 
their agents are saying to me, in fact, and in offense, I didn't really speak to Carlo's agent. I used to speak to him more really than, than his agent. But with Nuge, it was all about, he, I used to speak with his agent. And um, it was always about, well, okay, if you think I'm the best best in the division, then give me the money that do, that that deserves. And I'm going, we can't really do that. You know, we, we're not in a position that we'll give you as much as we possibly can because we want you to stay. But I just can't, I can't do it. The, the club are not in a position to do it. And unfortunately, that's that's life, isn't it? You know, that's the way yeah. it is. And as I say, I respect the club for the way that they tried to do it. But it, it makes it quite difficult for me as a manager to then keep those players and keep them happy, really. Yeah. Well, did Carlo and Ash go to Wigan? Yeah, he did, yeah. that did, was did, a... he, did he not come out and say, I want to, I, I want to leave because I want to go down south to be close to my girlfriend and then went yeah. to Wigan? That, that was one of the... <laughs> There was many disappointing things, but that was one of the really big disappointing things. I, I always remember it. We were playing Stoke City at home in the January um, as the three o'clock kickoff. And about half past 12, he knocked on the office door. We're at Deepdale and he knocks on the office door, at like the, the staff office door. And he said, have you got a minute, Gaffer? I was like, yeah, of course I have. Yeah, is everything all right? He went, no, not really. So I took him down the corridor and we had this... Um, it was like a little drug testing room next to the change room. So we went into there and I said, what is it? Are you unwell? He went, no. I said, uh, we had an agreement from him. He came to see me originally in the August and said, look, I, I've got to move down south. My girlfriend works in London. I mean, she had a really good job down in London. And it's just, we, we can't, you know, we can't carry on living apart. I need to go down south. And I'm like, I don't want you to go anywhere, Carlo. I want you to stay. You know, I think you're the best keeper in the division. He went, no, I just got, I've got to do it. Um, and the club are going to price me out. I said, well, we won't price you out. I said, we don't want to keep you if you're unhappy and if it's affecting your life and blah, 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 all of this sort of stuff and tried to reason with him. And we came, we actually came to an agreement with between me, him and Derek Shaw that if a club down South offered 500,000 for him, we would allow him to go. That was what we'd agreed. So time goes on. Nobody comes in for him. Never get a phone call. He carries on. He was magnificent. Top, top goalkeeper. Got no complaints about him. This Stoke game, he comes and speaks to me at half 12 and said, uh, why did you turn down a bid for me yesterday? I'm like, mm, I've never had a phone call about you yesterday. He said, yes, you did. I've been told you turned a bid down. I said, Carlo, I'm telling you now, I have not had a phone call about you. I can swear on my kid's life, nothing has happened regarding you. I said, and I've agreed. He said, but well, you've made an agreement with me. I said, yes, I have. And that agreement still stands. If a club down south comes for you and he's prepared to pay half a million, we will allow you to go. None of those have happened. So it, it's not going to happen. And he said, I said, so it's half past 12. What are you going to do? He went, I'm not in the right frame of mind to play today. And I said, well, you've now got two and a half hours to kick off to get yourself in the right frame of mind. Because if you don't play today, you find two weeks wages. It's as simple as that. You are playing today. End of story. So we start the game and within about 10 minutes, we're two nil down at home against Stoke because of two stupid mistakes. Now, thankfully, I think it was Kelvin Wilson scored the winner in about the 94th minute and we won the game 3-2. Well, that's a throwback. <laughs> but it was like, wow, I have, I've got away with one here because I, I made a decision and I was being a bit pig-headed really, saying, no, don't piss me about your playing. End of story. And as it was, he played. We then played... Uh, 
Crystal Palace away in the FA Cup. And I'd all, Andy Lonergan was always going to play in the FA Cup anyway. I'd already made that decision. So Lon has played. And we stayed at a hotel um, five lakes down near Ipswich because we were then playing Colchester on the Tuesday night. And we trained on the Sunday morning. I said to everybody after the game, you can come in the bar and have a drink. So we'll all have a drink together, but nobody's going out the hotel. Carlo never came down to socialise with anybody. He just kept out of his way. He came down on the Sunday and we were training on the Sunday morning and he had a proper monk on and was moaning and whinging and everything. So I decided to leave him out of the Colchester game and he didn't play um, in that Colchester game. And then it just got to a point and I, I can't remember when exactly it was that the only team that came in for him, and, and I'd never had a phone call about him before this, the only team that came in for him was Wigan. And we, we made a decision that it was in everybody's best interest to just get him out of the building and, and, and move him on. And he went to Wigan. And for a goalkeeper of his ability, he hardly played a single game from the minute he left Preston. And that is... From, I mean, I've already told you what my attitude to being a footballer is. It's just playing as many games of football as you possibly can. And he wasted so many years of being a really, really top, top keeper, um, which if he'd have carried on playing, he would have gone to a top club. Quite sure. Couldn't guarantee it'd be to a Southern club, but he'd have gone to a top club. And he and listen, he played for it. He went to Everton. He went to Stoke when they were in the Premier League. Um, but he didn't play. He didn't play games for them, and I think that's such a travesty for somebody with his ability. Yeah, he's the one, obviously, when when the time comes around every few years that people talk about team of this many years, team of that many years, the, mm. the goalkeeping position, from what I've seen, always seems to be a toss-up between either Carlo Nash or Jordan Pitford when we had him on loan. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he was up there. with. He really was. He was an excellent goalkeeper. Oh my bad. 